3: welcome to another mother runner podcast this is your host sarah bowen shea in portland and today i'm joined by coach christine hinton
2: hey sarah how are you
3: good good thank you for joining
2: yeah, and thanks for having me. I'm uh, calling from near Annapolis, Maryland, representing the East
3: Coast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we got both <laughs> coasts. We got both right. coasts going on here. So, Christine is one of our four new co-hosts joining the show on a rotating basis. So, in case you missed the announcement at the end of our last podcast, Dimity will now be joining us about every 4 to 5 weeks because she's focusing on the Train Like a Mother Club that we just launched and Christine, you are an integral part of that website. Uh, You are the genius behind all the Train Like a Mother training plans, both in our second book by the same name, as well as the Training Club website that just launched earlier this week. And Christine is going to be one of four new co-hosts joining the show on a kind of rotating basis. So it'll um, play through you and um, my running partner, Molly, my running buddy here in Portland, Ellison, and Adrian Martini, and then, like I said, Dimity will be joining us every uh, fourth or fifth week, and also she will be always bringing us the challenge corner. So you'll hear her lovely Minnesota lilt in every show. So, but uh, Christine, thanks so much for joining, and please remind people about your backstory, how many kids you have, uh, you know, you already mentioned where you live, and especially your running history.
2: Um, well, I've got two kids. I've got an eighteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old. It's kind of I know. How did your How did your oldest kid get to be eighteen,
3: Christine? When we <laughs> met you, know. when we met you, I swear you had like kids in yeah. like elementary school. Yet yeah, you still are as young as when we first met. So. I don't know how you did yes. it. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I don't know either. I, somehow she's a little adult now or think she is, but, um, <laughs> oh <my goodness. laughs> but yeah, so I've been, you know, I've been a, a runner pretty much my entire life, grew up in a running family, um, and uh, ran in high school, ran collegiately, um, after college, I was regionally competitive for a while, uh, then got into coaching and, um, coached at the high school level, um, did a lot of local group type coaching, community coaching, and then that morphed into doing some individual coaching and nonprofit groups, and um, and my my business as a uh, online uh, individual coach. Um, and then most recently, the the latest thing I'm getting to add to my list of coaching is middle school cross country oh. coaching. <laughs> oh, fun, fun, fun! I, uh, yeah, my son is in sixth grade, and he and I coaxed him into joining the cross country team, and naturally, my coaching skills kind of <laughs> came out. And uh, and then uh, at the end of the season, the, the coach uh, decided she wanted to step down from doing it after so many years and asked me if I wanted to step in. So I couldn't say no to that. So I'll be doing that for the next couple of years at least. Um, so I'll get my, my feet wet with middle schoolers.
1: Nice. Um, but
2: other than that, you know, I write for some publications, um, you know, do articles. And obviously, uh, one of the biggest things I love doing is working with you all.
3: Oh, nice. Nice. Thank you. Well, those those middle schoolers are lucky to have you. And and you, you also are in the midst of redesigning your website. So um, we'll definitely link to it in the podcast copy, but give a shout out to your own website for people who might want to be coached by you.
2: Yes. TheRunningCoach.com is my website and it is undergoing some changes, um, just kind of getting more modern um so yeah definitely check it out and that has my contact information on there as well as a bit about me and i'm hoping to make it more interactive perhaps connect more with another mother runner and um uh you know, make it some a place that people might want to come back to and, and check out what's going on.
3: Nice. Yeah. It looks awesome. So, so Christine, I want to be able to help listeners remember like who's who on this co-hosting thing. So mm-hmm. since, since there'll now be um five of you on a, like I said, on a rotating basis. So I'm thinking that each time you join the show, you'll tell us an anecdote or two from one of the mm-hmm. women that you're training. Some, you know, triumph mm-hmm. you've shared with them, some struggle you've helped them overcome. So, um, you know, we don't want you to divulge any confidentiality type thing. <laughs> Things you know, uh, I don't know if there's right. what is it HIPAA, whatever it is for, for, yeah, <laughs> for coaches. But um, so, tell us a story or two that stands out in recent memory, please.
2: Mm, I would say probably recently, um, uh, someone that's also part of our tribe, Heidi, who mm-hmm. you probably remember, yeah, but sure. I, I won't divulge her last name just in case. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, she I've been coaching with her for about two years now, and when she originally came to me um, had a huge mental block with with tempo runs, particularly, but anything that involved trying to narrow into a, a certain pace that was tough. and um, initially she would you know it was like a big anxiety event. If she had a tempo run Wednesday, she was already stressing about it on Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday, she was completely you know worried about it. Then Wednesday would end up falling apart because she had been so worried about it. And then the voices in her head would get her to either, you know, not hit her pace or she would stop and walk. And she just had this huge mental hurdle. And then she'd feel bad the next day. So one tempo run would would turn into like this week-long craziness. (laughs) And um, finally, over the last few months and then just most recently last week, she's like, you know what? I think I think I have it now. I think I have it now and she is nailing them. She doesn't stress about it beforehand anymore. Her confidence has has built um mentally and physically with being able to do those uh uh runs. So I'm super super proud that she stopped oh. overthinking it. She's overcome her mental hurdles um with that and uh yeah. So that had, that was like a big like woohoo moment for both of us.
3: <laughs> oh, that's so awesome. That, that was a long time coming. Yeah. That must have felt particularly good then. That's it awesome. did. It
2: did. Yeah, I was very, very happy with her. Um, and then, you know, it, it, another uh, client of mine who's also a part of our tribe, Rachel, mm-hmm. and I have to give a shout out to her because she heard that I would be co-hosting. She listens to the podcast and she's like, I'm so excited. to you know you're going to be on? So I have to give her a big shout, shout out. So hi, Rachel, I know you're listening. Um, and she really reminds me of of the more uh, of the younger typical mother brothers. Um, she recently has uh overcome um or not overcome I shouldn't say. She weaned her baby hmm. recently, which kind of is overcoming something. <laughs> yes. That was a little Freudian there, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Okay. Well she weaned her baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> And she works, you know, as a pharmacist. She's very busy, yet she's already, after a few months of running, pulling off PRs. I mean, she's just, she's, it's just amazing to me. Oh, um, cool. So I really think she's a really, really uh, inspirational person as far as trying to figure out how to make a lot of things in your life work mm-hmm. um, and still get out there and be fit.
3: Well, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. So that gets me and, kind of, go ahead, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say, but. Speaking of training, you've been training you just started for Boston training right? I did I did today is day three, and
3: it's rest day um and uh but oh my goodness, uh, Mother Nature decided to really mess with the first part of my training, so it kicked off on Monday which is uh, 15 weeks out from Boston to the day since uh, Boston's on a Monday, on Patriots Day in Massachusetts, on, on Patriots Day. Um, and uh, so we had snow on Sunday morning, which was lovely. Molly and I ran um, about a 10K distance in the snow. And then we got freezing rain on top of it on Sunday afternoon and evening so I immediately switched to fretting mode, you know, sort of, um, in the uh, old, old time Heidi, you know, to, to worry about things yes. before they actually happen. And, <laughs> <appreciate that>. okay. <laughs> and, um, so I was like, oh my gosh, cause I don't have a gym membership. And so Molly is my gateway to being able to get into a gym because she like got grandfathered in on this awesome deal with her health club where she can, as long as she gets Um, like, signs people up, like, so that we get our picture taken, she then can bring in two guests for free every single time she goes. But it, but, you know, she has to be with us. And Molly works as a veterinarian. So, you know, I was thinking she had to work on Monday. And so, I mean, the roads were just slicker than dog snot. I mean, it was just crazy, crazy. It was like a chunky ice rink out there. And, um, do you ever
2: use like the, sh- like the yak tracks or the I do. screws in your shoes or anything like that? I mm-hmm.
3: do have yak tracks, but I mean, I just thought, you ice know, is,
2: yeah, I mean, ice is different, but I just wonder, yeah,
3: yeah. You know. So I had actually, as a side note, um, on Monday morning, Phoebe, my uh, daughter who turns 14 this weekend, she, Ooh. yeah, she had, an orthodontist appointment at 840 and so you know i'm sure some parents would have either like driven them the kid there the orthodontist is about 14 blocks away or they would have called and canceled i'm like nope phoebe and i wear the same size sockany shoes so i'm like here you go here are my sockany guide sevens with some yak tracks on them so just be really careful phoebe and I was like so they were good enough for your daughter (laughs) she was just walking you know and and an orthodontist appointment is hard to come by so she, she um so anyway so I said oh can you please text me when you get there and she's like you're kidding, right? I'm like, no, I'm going to be worried about you. And so sure enough, when she left, I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to fall back and hit her head. She's going to like get a concussion. It's going to be I'll awful. You know. yeah, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had, yeah, I, de- I definitely, I am, I am like overly paranoid about sidewalk sandwiches. So there was that, you know, that she might eat a curb on the way there. And, um, she told me later that she came close to falling four times, but she stayed upright and um, so she made it. So, yeah, but just for running and also, you know, like, I, that would just be my luck if to, you know, break something on the first day of training.
2: Yeah, no, so, no. And falling is different at our age. You know, oh, yeah. Old, but, you know, anytime you're like over like 30, <laughs> right. falling's not the same as it is when you're eight. You know, you can't just get up, shake it off and keep on going. It, oh, it, I know. It, it could take out. Yeah. I know.
3: So, so uh, then Molly's office ended up being... Closed for Monday, so we decided to give it enough time. So we um, went to her gym at three in the afternoon, and by then the roads were fairly passable. I mean, luckily the gym is not very far away. So, you know, I just despise the treadmill, but um, by that point I was just so elated to actually be getting my workout in that I was like, oh, this is awesome! And and uh, so did that workout. And then yesterday though um had to do a strength training circuit in my basement and had to do a warm up of um sort of similar actually now that I think about it to what Dimity talked about on last week's podcast with stairs but the stairs at her mother's house are much more open than the ones down to our basement so there there was no way I could have run them so yeah. I did like um stairs and then um, some jumping jacks, which I gotta say are so tough and tiring. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Jumping jacks are no joke.
3: <laughs> oh, and then and then <laughs> high knees and then and then this circuit workout. Um so Good for you. Yeah. So um so hopefully well then I actually don't run until again until Friday. So there's only three days of running this week. So um anyway yeah so kind of nice start yes yes uh not a uh, little little rocky but hopefully little it'll smooth out got, yeah yep.
2: yeah yeah better so, to happen now than you know later on when you're really in the thick of things so. exactly
3: or unlike the dam's supposed to do like an 18 miler or something right, like that. right that that would be true torture so so um that kind of segues right into our topic which is you know um brought uh coach christine on to talk about planning your 2016 training and racing calendar so if you have a Highlands story to share, please head on over to highlands.com, that's H-Y-L-A-N-D-S dot com, and join the conversation over there. So Christine, let's roll up our sleeves and talk about how to plan a year's worth of training in racing. I want to know, is there one overarching principle that gals should follow when planning their year?
2: Um, Okay. well, I usually have my clients pick one or two kind of a goal races that they focus on um, as their main to either go after a PR or run further than they've ever run new distance type of thing, Um, typically, depending on how they uh, do their training year. We'll do one in the spring and perhaps one in the fall. That seems to be what most people like to do. Um, but of course the timing of your year, your running year can be however you like it to be. Um, it can start, it doesn't necessarily have to start in January if you have other kind of obligations. Yeah. So, you know, when I have a more like beginner or intermediate runner, I usually get them in the early part of their running year to first focus on some speed initially. Um, So that could be a shorter race. Um, Most of our runners, it seems like, tend to, you know, if they're doing the 5Ks and the 10Ks, they ultimately are training for something longer in the future. Um, So as a general rule, I'll say, okay, well, let's train for a 5K, a 10K, maybe a half marathon if their ultimate goal is a marathon later in their training year. Um, And we work on speed. We work on trying to uh, build strength in the legs, make sure you're getting some core work done as well. Um, really getting some turnover working on form things like that and then once that race is over then we can take that race get a good idea of what's possible uh, you know as far as predicting what what the second a race is going to produce and then start formulating a plan for that and typically that that for most people tends to be a longer distance um like i said usually in the fall that could be a half marathon or a marathon so then we start building on the speed with putting some endurance in while maintaining some of the speed that's already been developed that's
3: that's interesting that you think about building speed over distance that's intriguing Mm -hmm. to me
2: Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you train for, um, well, and, and that this goes with saying, first of all, you should always have a base. I'm, uh, I'm talking, you know, if you are a runner brand new to running and you've never run anything before in your life, you're obviously going to uh, build your base first. So in that sense, yes, you're going to spend a good chunk of time, three, six, nine months, just putting in the slow miles to build your base. But once you have that initial you know, four or five mile base down where you're running three to four times a week and you're, you know, getting out there consistently and you start looking at races, then is the time where you can start throwing in the speed stuff. And yes, I do like to focus on building um, the speed once there is an established base already there with beginner and intermediate runners. Um, Training for a 10K or a, a half marathon transitions really nicely into training for a marathon. Um, where training for a marathon for first and then trying to build in speed later tends to not flow as nicely in the training cycle year. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, training for shorter events then puts that speed on your leg, gets the, your form better, and then allows you to get a good, perhaps predictable uh, race time for your longer event um, and gives us paces to use and, and things like that. But again, you know, like your running year you're can, can – uh, flip-flop any way you want my actually I actually run my bigger event in the spring Mm -hmm. um and yeah and then my then my summer's kind of more my my lax time Um, but most people will do a fall as their big event. You know, it's, it's interesting
3: because with all the traveling that I've done with another mother runner, you know, and, and I grew up on the East coast, I live here in Oregon. And so to me, you know, spring and fall are the big race seasons. Mm -hmm. And then I've spent a lot of time down in Texas, for instance, where people, you know, I'll see them in December and they're like, Oh, I'm so excited to be starting my race season. I'm like, Oh, mm-hmm. right, I get it. If it's super hot then you race in the winter right. time. And you That's know right.
2: I mean That's right, yeah.
3: I was just uh last night trying to find some February races so that I could kind of have a tune up race, which is a topic we'll get to in a little bit, but a tune up race, you know, in either late January or mid February and I was like hard pressed to find yeah. something.
2: You're here. gonna have to travel south for that. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean there there
3: are a couple, but all the like caution, the weather could be really bad. I'm like, ah, oh, tell me something that I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of reasons to formulate your running year in different ways. You know, one being obviously where you live, like you're saying, but two could just be like what your job is. Like Mm -hmm. for example, if you're a teacher, maybe the fall isn't the best time to be peaking for a marathon. Um, You know, or or I like my downtime to be during the holiday season. But you, you know, if you want to run a solid February race, that's not also a good time. So. I think when you're trying to organize your training year, you want to kind of look at where you naturally have a busier time in your life um, and where you have more obligations. And that I usually recommend is the time where you kind of fit in your um, less active time of the year Mm -hmm. and then project out when you can start training again, project out a few months to where you can put in your races.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good point. The, I like the thought about, yeah, teachers having a, a race, say on September fifteenth or something like that might not be the wisest. No. move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So or also, I mean, I think if people think they're gonna have a big family vacation, it can be so tough to fit in longer runs. I think that's sometimes why a fall marathon is particularly tough.
2: Yes, yes. And that's why I usually don't do a fall marathon. But a lot of people do because a lot of people do have the time in the summer, perhaps the weather is better, the days are longer. I mean, there's lots of reasons that summer is a great time to train, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and then you get used to the heat and then hopefully you have a nice cool Cool day um, for your race, so there's there's lots of advantages to it, but there's also lots of reasons why it might not work for everybody. Mm-hmm. So the point is, you know, it don't you don't have to follow the herd with mm-hmm. the general, you know, mindset of what a training year looks like. Your training year can start and end whenever the heck you want it to. So,
3: oh, that's a good thing because then I start. I gotta say that. So we'd planned this podcast, and then. Uh, I thought, oh, it's perfect timing. It's going to come early in January. And I can't tell you the number of, you know, um, mom runner blogs that I've been on. And they show their 2016 year already planned out. And I'm like, oh, gosh, wow. Some people really work in advance.
1: (laughs)
3: So that's sort or of at least this is kind of more of a logistical question, but with sort of a psychological bent. So how soon do you, Coach Christine, recommend gals register for a race like right away so they get some committed to their training plan or mm-hmm. kind of wait to see how training progresses? Or I mean, this this day and age, you can sort of never tell when you're going to get shut out of a race because mm. it fills up.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly what was my first thought is that a lot of it depends upon the races that you're looking at Mm -hmm. Um, because race days, they do, they fill up lightning fast these days, and the bigger the event, the more popular the event, the sooner you have to sign up for it, you know, sometimes a year in advance, Um, and then sometimes you get put into a lottery and you don't even know if you're going to be, you know, Mm -hmm. training for that race. So um I think those events are great to do and obviously they've got large turnout and um a lot of participants. So for those things I mean you have to you got I mean you just you have to sign up and then see what happens and then hopefully you know depending on uh what you're training for that 15 to 20 weeks before that race you'll have a better idea of whether you're going to be doing it or not. Um but I you know I like to remind runners that there are so many awesome small local events that can be just as rewarding and sometimes um, a better setup for an A goal race. Um, I think those big ones are great and they're fun and they're high energy and they are tons of fun, but they're not not always the best for a PR or, you know, doing. Yeah. So now for a first time marathon, those can be awesome because you know, you're, you're surrounded by lots of yelling people dressed in (laughs) costumes and everything. So it's very exciting, but you know, if you're going for a, for a a PR or something, don't, don't neglect to look over the local small ones. We have a great little marathon here that I try to do just about every year. And, um, and it's, it's wonderful. And you're pretty much wired after the first miles and, um, it's, it's a good place to try to pull off a PR either way. Um, whether you sign up, you know, like a year ahead of time or a couple months beforehand, um, you mentally don't want to focus on that race too hard, um, until you're the appropriate amount of training weeks ahead. Cause you know, any any race that you have, where you, tra- you know, where you've got, uh, uh 12 months, you don't want to be thinking about a marathon for 12 months. You're going to be mentally just you know, toast by the time that race comes up. So if you do have to sign up way, way ahead of time, just, you know, map it out, um, depending on what race it is from a 10 K 5 K to the marathon, 12 to 20 weeks typically tends to be the training amount of time. Then at that point is when you really start to focus on it. Um, otherwise it's just, it's, it's too exhausting to think that you're training for one event for a full year or half a year. I I guess Um, it,
3: it brings to mind, we have this friend who it's a, it's a a father runner actually. And he is celebrating um, a Hallmark birthday this year. He's, um, uh, older than we are he's his 60th birthday is on the exact day that uh, rock and roll Seattle is in yeah, June yeah. which is also right around Father's Day so like it's a loaded time of year mm-hmm. and uh, his name is Will and so Will is actually following a train like a mother plan as mm-hmm. is um uh, his girlfriend and so but Will called me and he was all nervous about his eight mile run the next day And I was like, well, Will, why are you doing eight miles already? You know, this was in December when we were talking. And he's like, well, I started the plan early because I think I'm going to miss some days of training. So I want to have time to make them up. I'm like, Will, 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 (laughs) you are going to just burn out. And I said, and that's the beauty. One of the many beauties of Train Like a Mother plans is that we have a bail if you need it day once a week. And so that, you know, if you know that you have you know, parent teacher conferences on Wednesday night that's gonna keep you, you know, busy from, you know, four A. M. until ten PM, you know, make that be your bail day. And right. so so he's like, You mean I don't have to to be on the plan i'm like nope you don't you know let's count back let's you know if, yes. the, if the plan is 20 weeks let's count back you know 20 weeks and let's count it again because sometimes counting backwards is not my strength so,
2: <laughs> which always... so funny me too all of a sudden you're doing it and you're like wait a second
3: <laughs> oh i know and then because then someone walks up to you and they're like
2: hey do you have
3: 12 eggs oh god what's i on 14 or 15 i don't know and so
2: um uh, so yeah, yes we'll- Yeah. Bill is a perfect example. I mean, that's exactly right. You obviously want to make sure that your build up, too, when you start to focus, you know, you meet the prerequisites of what's written in the plan, that you have your base built. But you don't need to stress and worry and, you know, freak out about uh, uh, actually being in full on training mode. Um, so yeah, that's the, good. I'm glad that you were able to talk to him, talk him down.
3: <laughs> I did. I talked him off that ledge. And then, and then at the end he goes, Oh, I'm so excited. Now I don't have to do that run tomorrow. I'm like,
2: okay, there's. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's
2: funny. Yeah. You know, in, in addition to like signing up everything, you know, I find a, a big time that people struggle with, with whether they should sign up for a race or not is after mm. their goal race. Mm. Um, so like after their big fall marathon, for example, all of a sudden, they you know, they hit those post-race blues and they're like, ooh, you know, they're not sure, you know, whether to sign up for another race or whether they should kind of just uh, hang out and relax. Um, so I find that that's actually, depending on the runner, can be a good time to kind of look ahead if you start to feel down. And, you know, you've hit your, your uh, uh, goal for that race and you've celebrated it. And now all of a sudden you're kind of like, okay, what's next? What's next? That's not a bad time to start looking, even if it's going to be a race that's a year out or something, because it tends to kind of lift people's spirits to say, okay, there's more, there's more, because I think as runners, we, we have to have those goals. Um, especially people that are listening to this podcast that are part of the tribe that hire coaches. We don't run just to run a lot of times. We run because we like to have something to reach for. And um, so having those those races and filling out that application to, to, to run a, um, a race, I think is an important part of the whole process as a runner. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And what about when um, a goal race doesn't go as planned? What's your stance on, mm-hmm. on like do-over races that weren't on the original calendar?
2: Yeah, that's actually, it's kind of a, one to answer in like a broad way because so much of it depends on the individual individual details of the race um, what went wrong um, you know how long the race was Um, but I guess if I had to give kind of a general answer um, I would say that gosh I would probably say that depending on the length of the race for example if it was something shorter 5k 10k maybe even up to a half marathon if you've been running for a while um you could probably do another one within a reasonable amount of time um again the distance dictating how long apart they need to be but it's hard to expect if you ran hard and conditions weren't right or you were sick or something but you ran that effort hard your first race hard it's hard to hold on to a peak Mm-hmm. For more than a couple of weeks, again, depending on the length of the of the race. So for example, like let's say you ran a marathon, and at mile 10, you knew it wasn't going to happen and you pulled up and you, you didn't run the race. That's an ideal situation. Okay, let's pick one in four weeks, six, six weeks. And you can kind of, you know, drag, drag your training out a little bit, ride that peak a little bit and probably have a fairly successful second marathon. But if you run a marathon full out and whatever reason, you know, you finish, but it was well below what you wanted or whatever happened, um, trying to pick yourself up and run another marathon of four to six weeks probably isn't very reasonable. Um, but then again, you know, with shorter races, five Ks, 10 Ks, you could probably, if you have a bad race, um, design the training so that from one from the bad race to another race and I would say it would have to be within eight six to eight weeks at the latest in order for you to still benefit from the training of that site. Mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 But it, I know it stinks and people automatically want to do that. I mean, we do the same thing with our training runs too. If you had a bad training, I can't tell you how many people, <laughs> you know, they'll have a bad training run. They're like, I'm going to try it again tomorrow. Oh and I'm gosh. Like, no, no. <laughs> You know, don't do that because they, you know, you, you tend to uh, define yourself as a runner by your last workout or your last race. So we all have bad days and bad races happen. So ideally I would tell a runner, Let's look at what happened. Let's see if it's something that's fixable. Let's use that as a lesson, and then and then incorporate that into their next uh, next goal race, rather than trying to make it up. I I tend to be of the school of saying, you know what? Let's let the bad runs go. Let's let the bad races go, and just kind of move on and learn from them.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Brings to mind uh, my half marathon. In the summer of 2014, which now sounds like a million years ago, but that I uh, just—I mean, it just exploded because I did—I took in way too many electrolytes. I think the day before, I took my Kosher's advice of you know make sure you hydrate really well. You know, a little too seriously. So, uh, so then you know it was tough because then I uh, was—I guess probably I don't know—eight weeks later was going to be my. Hopefully Boston qualifying Marathon, so I had to be like, "Okay, okay, you know, okay, maybe I got the bad race out of the way, so that means that then come yeah. October I'll do just fine and and it was the case, but it was it was tough to let go of those thoughts those negative thoughts that followed the the bad outcome. Yes. And... Yeah, and
2: I think that that I mean, and that's why people want the repeat race is yeah, <laughs> yeah. because of the mental aspect of it. You know, you want to be like, man, you know, I had this training, I trained so hard, and you want the result to reflect the training. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, you know, running and racing just is not that predictable. Um, You know, there's so many variables that go into a race day that are beyond your control. Oh, so yeah. you just have to, you know, and I and sometimes I'll say that to somebody like if it's like. A, horrible weather day or whatever let's call you know let's let's call that what it is yes your race time was slower but under those conditions and how you came in might be a better indicator of your success that day versus comparing it to that same race last year where it was ideal condition
3: oh yeah when uh when i did boston 2012 and that was when they had record heat you know got to be uh, close (laughs) to 90 degrees during the race and um you know i was my slowest marathon by far and but then and I was like, oh, and I, you know, I try not to feel too bad about it. But then the more racers that I talked to and heard how much worse their times were than what their, yeah. you know, qualifying race had been. I was suddenly like, yeah, I didn't do so bad. Mine was only 40 minutes slower. Yours was a whole hour slow. Exactly.
2: <laughs> you know. exactly. No. And that's what you have to do sometimes is you can't just compare times. You got to compare to, yeah, what everybody else is running that Which day. Which makes and me so sound. Obviously, you, yeah, you had a better day. Yeah,
3: it makes me sound horribly shallow to me. But it no,
2: was. It does <laughs> so we're all runners we, we get it <laughs>
3: but then I but then I um met a guy up at um one of my favorite shoe stores here in town foot traffic and was talking to him he'd done Boston and and so you know I was feeling kind of good by that point about my 40 minutes slower time and he was like oh I was really psyched mine it was slower and I'm like uh-huh by how much he goes oh by a minute <laughs> like, like okay dude <laughs> you're not- <laughs> You're not making me feel very good bye. about my time. Yeah, bye bye. I love that. Life is slower. Um, oh, that yeah, count as slower. <laughs> right. that's a glitch in your GPS, dude. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so I realized we skipped over a question, which is: is there an ideal number of races to do per year, or like an ideal frequent? Frequency with which to race because, you know, maybe I'm a slacker, but I often talk to people who seem to do a lot of races in a year. And I just am thinking, like, wow, you know, you must be a whole lot younger than I am or I don't know, we're a whole lot richer. I mean, I'm like, wow, how do you afford all those races? That's
2: right. That's true. Some of them can be, uh, you know, pretty darn expensive. Yeah. But there are also some cheaper ones out there. Like I here, um, the Annapolis Striders has a 12 race. No, maybe it's not 12. Maybe it's like 10. 10 uh, race series. Mm-hmm. And it ends up working out to be like two bucks a race. Of course, you don't get like a shirt or anything like that. But it's a series of races and you do one or two per month throughout the year and it's you know, uh they do point if you're in it in it with your age group and it's a really fun way to to, to get out there. And so I think running lots of races isn't necessarily a good or bad thing. I think mm. it's how you approach it. Um, you know, you obviously you can't be in tip top shape more than a couple of times a year. You can't peak more than a couple of times a year, your body just can't hold on to it. Um and that's you know, that's why we taper and peak for those important events, but Racing does have value outside of just trying for those PRs. Um, I love using races as part of training. You never run harder than you will in a race environment. Um, and you could use, you know, if there's a, uh, we have here, we have a 15K that I will do in December every year and just kind of use it as an assisted long run. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, they've got water out for me. There's people around, <laughs> you know, it starts a little later. I and mean, it's nice, you know, and, and you can also use them to try out race. Pace, mm-hmm. um, I'll often have people run a half marathon and run maybe the middle ten portions at like their marathon race pace just to kind of get a feel of what it feels like in a race environment while you're taking your fluids um and your your and running in a crowd situation, you know, maybe trying to simulate the terrain of the main race you're gonna be running, just to kind of get a feel and get more experience um that might be specific for your race. And, and again, I like those, those race series. I think I have another client that's doing a bunch and I told her, I was like, okay, let's pick out a couple that we're going to focus on where you can really hit it hard and the rest will use as training. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And you, you know, and when that happens, you just have to make sure that your expectations are kept in check for those races. Cause obviously they're not going to be, probably won't be like your fastest times because right. um, you'll be using them as training. But yeah, I think, I think it's fine. You just have to make sure that you're not, you know, putting everything out there on every single race that you're kind of keeping yourself in training mode for most of them.
3: Right, right. That's a good point. And I like your idea about the those, um, training, you know, the races that are kind of packaged all together. We have those here in uh, Oregon, uh, put on Mm -hmm. by the Oregon Roadrunners Club and Molly's a part of it. And, um, you know, like you say, they don't get medals. They don't, I think you can buy a medal or a t-shirt, but they, um, the A-troop finishers, they get a pie, um, like a home-baked pie for Mm. (laughs) for winning. And, um, and she loves them and and those are those are ten k's. It seems to me like often those series are five k's or ten k's, and oftentimes like I know there's ones here in town also that are um like Wednesday night races. Yes. Or, you know, so they can kind of add, and they're you know they're doing this during the summer. It's super light out, you know, until late, and and it can just add kind of a festive atmosphere and and kind of push you outside to make you do something you wouldn't normally be doing. So they can they can definitely be fun. I hadn't considered that. So nice. Nice. So you sort of, you sort of touched on the idea of a tune-up race. Can you sort of explain the concept of such races and how and when to plan them, like how much before a race? And you already have sort of talked about how to mentally approach them, but just sort of talk about tune-up races, please.
2: Yeah. I love using, uh, you know, using races definitely as a tune-up race. Um, It gives, I tend to put it in, now it depends on the individual, but anywhere uh right around the middle and for most training cycles nowhere closer than 6 weeks out from your main event um throw in a tuning a tune-up race and typically it's shorter than you know obviously than than what you're training for so a half marathon you might want to do a 10k if you're training for a 10k you might want to do a 5k mm-hmm. marathon you might want to do a half marathon um And, you know, you just, you you put it out there. We don't, we don't train for it specifically, but you might want to taper, you know, a little bit, a couple of days ahead of time, nothing major, but just so that you're rested and put a decent effort in. Um, And then you take that time and it can give you a really good indication of how your fitness is improving, um, what to expect on race day, if there's any race training paces that need to be adjusted. You can stick it into one of the calculators like the McMillan running calculator um, to give you a good idea of, of what you can expect on your big race day. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. And then how long should you, you don't get the typical amount of rest though afterwards. You can't just no. so mm-hmm. take a week off.
2: <laughs> right, right. Now, assuming that you run it hard, you're probably going to need a day or two. But most of the time, these shorter events, you know, 5K, you're only going to need a couple of days to kind of feel back to yourself. Same thing with the 10K. Once you do a half marathon, I tend to leave that next week. You don't stop running or not run, but, you you know, we might not do any high intensity for five days or something like that Um, because that kind of – that takes the place of your hard effort for that week. And, sometimes, you know, for a half marathon, I'll sometimes even – replace two hard efforts for that week, Mm -hmm. um, or two of the quality runs for that week. So, yeah, so you're definitely not, you know, you're not tapering for two or three weeks before the event. You're not recovering for two or three weeks. It's definitely built. I know (laughs) it's definitely built into the training. However, I do want you to run it hard because I want to see, you know, where your fitness level is. Mm -hmm, mm Lay
3: it, lay it out there.
2: Yeah. Put yeah. it out there. Yeah. <laughs> run smart, you know, and run smart. And again, use it as, as a, a place to practice things as well.
3: Right, right. Like I learned about electrolytes, say, for
2: instance. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, all that stuff needs some fine tuning and, and you can do it all in in on your practice runs and your long runs. But I tell you, nothing simulates it better than, uh, you know, because your body handles things differently when it's under that higher stress level. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. good to find that out beforehand. <laughs> right, right, right.
3: Um, so you've touched on the you know kind of peaks and valleys of a of, of a training cycle. So let's talk a bit about building in rest and recovery on on a grander scale than a day here or a day there.
2: Yeah. Um, yes. Every every training year, you know, again, however your training year is, needs to have like a chunk of of down time. Um, as kind of i alluded to before because you can't you just can't be in full-on training mode all the time um, mentally or physically you just can't handle mo i mean every elite runner that i've ever read about always takes i mean most of them take like a full month off um, from running now that doesn't mean they don't do anything for a month they certainly stay active but they focus their attention on something different rather than running um i know um, oh Now the name eludes me. Someone that lives up north, one of the elite runners, they'll do cross country skiing hmm. for the month of January, or, or um, you know, or just some other, you know, maybe start biking or, or swimming, or who knows? Maybe you'll fall in love with one of those and decide to do a triathlon <laughs> or something. But taking that chunk of time off, and and for my runners, I some can't because our training isn't as intense, obviously, as an elite. Um, I usually do anything from about two weeks to four weeks is what I encourage some people just because we're all addicted to running (laughs) we can't handle doing more than a couple of weeks because then you start to get into that you know antsy kind of feeling where you need to have that release that that uh that running or you forget
3: or you forget that you like it and then you don't go back to
2: it (laughs) (laughs) that can happen too that's why I you know then I have to pull the whip back but um but yeah but most of the time you know after two weeks people are like okay I'm ready to start running again um but you might find you love and are able to explore something brand new, which I, which I is what I try to focus on. Nice,
3: nice. All right. So for the final question, we have to touch on the dreaded I word. What advice do you give if injury raises its ugly head during a training cycle? And I t- realize this is a topic for a completely other podcast, Christine. So, <laughs> so we we will, uh, you know, have that be a podcast. But let's, you know, could you touch on a few overarching guidelines?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the minute you feel anything that seems off um, for more than two runs, you know, one run you feel a little ache or pain, you know, that's kind of normal, unfortunately. But if you start to have something consistent over two or three runs an ache or pain, you have, you should have dress it right away and that doesn't mean just the rest and the stretching and the the uh, icing and, and all that it means you need to figure out the why and uh, you know find out the cause of whatever is happening um, you definitely w- don't want to just take some ibuprofen and then jump back out there again because you're you're just going to be masking the pain and making it worse um, so you have to do the research, you've got to find an expert, you've got to address the cause of anything that starts to linger more than a few runs. Um, so your first line of defense is to not be stubborn, <laughs> but to be smart and stay on top of the issues, because so many injuries are preventable. It's just that we are, we, you know, we want to stick to the routine no matter what. Um, but it's very important that you slow down, listen to your body, and then make the smart decisions. And the smart decisions are often the harder ones. Um, you know, I have a great simple example, um, a runner once she had, uh, her feet were just hurting her so bad and she had these crazy blisters and finally after sucking it up for weeks and you know, her feet were like getting bloody blood blisters. She contacted me and she's like, I don't know what's going on with my feet. Turns out all she needed was to size up her shoes. half a size. <laughs> oh. And I am not kidding. I mean, true story. And, and, you know, and this was someone that thought she was being tough by sucking it up. I'm a runner. Your feet are going to hurt. But more often than not it 's an indication that something is off, and a lot of times it's something that 's fixable mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's that's my first thing and then if you do get injured, you know you just have to find other activities to try to maintain the fitness level that you do have um, I know that it's hard because finding anything that gives you the same level of satisfaction as running can can be hard um but like i said before you know you might jump on a bike or start swimming and find that you enjoy those and you know might want to try for a triathlon you don't know what doors it could open uh, for you um, but but the bottom line is that every injury is a lesson to learn from um, and you want to really make sure that you learn the lesson so you don't have to repeat it
3: Gosh, when I hear you say things like that, I'm like, oh, you're just the best coach, Christine. Like, the, You know, be smart, not stubborn. And injury is a lesson you can learn from. I'm like, wow, those are like that's some really good
2: advice. Unfortunately, I don't always listen to my own advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, I know it's all much easier said than done.
3: Yeah, I that's know. the thing. That is yes. the thing. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. All right, well, now we're going to head over to the Challenge Corner to hear from Dimity.
0: Hey, this is Dimity in Denver, and I am here with the Challenge Corner, the first one of 2016. Woohoo! Um, as we enroll people right now into the Train Like a Mother club, we don't have any challenges starting until Monday, so that's two days away, or three days away, I guess. I've lost a little bit of track of time. Um, but we've got an email here from Phoebe who is so excited that she's finding a race just to be in the challenge. She writes, Hey, I love the new website, Train Like a Mother Club. I have my eye on a half marathon on April 10th, but I think I'm going to make that a fun run and add another half marathon in May so I can truly be in the club. And then if I get into the lottery races that I want to do, I'll be in very good shape for them in late May and June. She says, Woot! Thanks to you and Dim and the other Bammers who keep this thing rolling. And that was an email sent to Sarah. Um, and so thank you, Phoebe, for joining. And thank you for everybody else who's joined. Um, and we're excited to just have a great, great spring training season. So if you want to be part of it, obviously head to trainlikeamother.club. Um, in the meantime, the song for this week has has nothing to do with a challenge, nothing to do with Phoebe, just a song that... Um, I heard again the other day, and it just makes me laugh. It's called Biscuits by Casey Musgrave. It's a country song, Um, and it's just about um, minding your own gravy. She's got a line that says, um, own your own crazy, mind your own biscuits, and life will be gravy. And I just, I love that, especially the own your own crazy part. So not telling you guys what to do, just giving you a fun song to um, entertain you for a couple miles. Okay, have a great day. Talk to you later.
3: All right. So you've heard us talk about it a lot on this podcast, but um, just in case you missed it, the Train Like a Mother Club opened this week. It's home for training programs designed by Coach Christine, that coach just full of pithy, smart advice, Christine. <laughs> and, uh, yep, yep. And you have designed plans ranging from the five-week stride into the new year to an 18-week marathon program. All the plans will include access to trainlikeamother.club, where we'll have oodles of resources, oodles, a private Facebook page full of Mother Runner teammates, a private Strava club so you can log miles and pile on kudos, and a seriously stocked swag bag shipped right to your front door by me right here in portland oregon um and you can also add on a commemorative t-shirt and or metal just got the metal design um today it looks awesome it's very very sophisticated metal i might say um and uh the prices of these plans are noteworthy and pretty dang amazing they are 50 cents a day so the five-week stride into the new year plan is a mere $17.50. Let me say that again. $17.50. And uh, the 5K, um, that is launching at the end of February. So we'll find out then what that's going to cost. Because um, I can't do the math on that while I'm talking. <laughs> so um, and then the uh, 10K and half marathon plans are $52.50, while the marathon plan clocks in at a reasonable $63. Train Like a Mother Club members also get great discounts on some key races around the country, including Flying Pig, New Jersey, and Pittsburgh marathons and half marathons, as well as a bunch of other races. Registration is open through January 24th, so skedaddle over to trainlikeamother.club. Again, that's trainlikeamother.culb.
2: C-L-U-B.
3: Oh, <laughs> to did a funny Okay, hold
2: on. No, you got to leave that.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no matter how your 2016 race calendar shapes up many happy miles to you